Um, if you're here for the first time, uh, sorry, wish I had it more together, uh, but we would love for you uh, to come and experience what so many people are experiencing at Restoration, freedom and life. And so uh, you can hit the QR code in front of you that says connect. And uh, that's just a real quick way to give us a little bit of information so that we can get you a newsletter. Somebody will give you a phone call just to ask if you have any questions. We just want you to be a part of our family. So feel free to jump in. Uh, so uh, if you showed up this morning, if you're normally at 945 and you're fighting for a seat, but you're here, you're like, wait, did the rapture happen? Um, uh, yeah, it did. We've all been left behind. And so uh, uh, we, we got some work to do. Uh, uh, this is our men's advance weekend, and so uh, there were 270 guys uh, uh, from Restoration, plus another uh, 60 from a couple of other churches, Stonebridge, Declaration, and uh, that was uh, taken with a drone, which was, you know, I said, hey guys, this will probably take about 45 seconds, or it should take 45 seconds, it'll probably take 20 minutes, and uh, we were pretty close to that, uh, but man, I'll tell you, it was an unbelievable weekend, um, incredible time of worship, teaching, testimony, small group discussion, and, and the theme was uh, rooted, being rooted in community, being rooted in intimacy with Jesus, being rooted in mission, and uh, it was just so cool to, to watch men really being brought to life. So first of all, if you've never been in a room uh, uh, with 300 men singing at the top of their lungs, there's something just, it's hauntingly powerful. I mean, uh, it was loud in there. The band was cranked up and yet you could hear men singing over the top of that. Men in full surrender. Uh, it was just Ah, uh, man, uh, like I always say every year, man, this was, this was the best men's event yet, but I can tell you, this was the best men's event yet. Um, uh, we, we heard from uh, Brandon Leone, uh, Stephen McDonald, uh, Josh Walker, who runs Seven More, one of our partner ministries, uh, Shane Chesser, Brian Jenkins, Justin Stone, Jonathan Hockmeyer, David Hill. It was like drinking from a fire hydrant. And at the end of every session, uh, we invited guys to take out their journal and had some questions for them to really process with God. And then they went into small groups and processed those things. And uh, last night was probably uh, the culmination uh, of, of what a lot of guys were kind of processing because we invited guys that had never trusted Jesus to come and trust Jesus. And there were 12 guys down at the altar and, and all of their band of brothers down there praying over them. And man, there are 12 guys in the kingdom today, um, uh, which is incredible. So it was just stellar. Um, on Friday night, we talked about the importance of uh, being rooted in community and it was based on Psalm 1-1. And if, if you know Psalm 1-1, it says, blessed is uh, the man who doesn't walk in, in the counsel of the wicked, and the NIV says a step with the wicked, but in other versions, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the company of mockers. And this, it was this whole idea of man, sin weighs you down. It takes you from walking to standing to sitting. But it's not just what sin does, but it's who you align yourself with matters, right? 
It's like walking in the counsel of the wicked, meaning that who's speaking into your life matters. You're either taking your cues from the culture or from Jesus. And we need uh, godly people in our lives that are leading us toward the truth of who God says we are. And so uh, it's, it's walking, standing in the way of sinners, so doing what they do. But then the, the worst part is when we are sitting in the seat of mockers, it means that's who we become. And you're gonna become, you're the, you're the sum total of the people that you spend the most time with. Amen. And so that's either really good or really questionable. And you can figure that out. If you're not sure, come see me and I'll help you out with that. But um, here's the bottom line. Following Jesus, it's a team sport. While uh, uh, saying yes to Jesus is a personal decision that only you can make, uh, your spouse can't make it for you, your family can't make it for you, your coworkers can't make that decision for you, it's a team sport. It's individual, but yet we were meant to live together in community. We were meant to build each other up to live our highest calling. Amen. So think about it. I said it a minute ago, but the church is the hope of the world. That, that when Jesus ascended, remember before he descended, long before the crucifixion, he spoke over Peter and he says, listen, I'm gonna found the church on you, buddy. And Peter was a mess. Like I so identify with Peter. He didn't have a clue what he was doing either. So he and I, we're bros. Uh, and so, so here he was this guy, didn't have a clue what he was doing. And then the Holy Spirit falls on him in Acts chapter two. He goes out and preaches and 3,000 people come into the kingdom in a day and the church is founded. And from that point, the church is the hope of the world. It's the way that God wants to export the gospel to the world. Now, let me say this. The church is a mess, right? The church all over the world is a mess, and here's why. People are involved. We live in a broken world, and this mechanism, this organization called the church, it is God's way to reach the world. But he's got to use broken people because there are no such thing as unbroken people. Amen. We're forgiven people, and until Jesus returns... Until, you know, he who began a good work in you, remember that, Philippians 1, 6? He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until when? The day of Christ Jesus. Christ will return at some point. And when he does return, we're gonna be complete. But until then, we broke. <laughs> but we're still the hope of the world. And the church has warts. You know, if maybe you got some church hurt. If you've been in church very long, you've been disappointed by the church, it's let you down. Um, I'm sure there are people in the room that you would say, yeah, Greg, you personally have let me down. And uh, hey, I get it. And guess what? I'm a guy. I'm on a journey just like you are. Amen. You hang out with people very long to let you down, but we're still the hope of the world because we get to show the world how to suffer, how to fail, but how to do it in the context of following Jesus. Not giving up, not quitting, but continue to pursue the calling that God's given us. And so, as far as the Jesus, be reminded this, the enemy loves to get you in isolation. So here's what I want to say. I see many guys that were at Men's Advance this weekend that came back early to be with your families. That's awesome. Know this. If you didn't attend for whatever reason, if you uh, were convinced that this wasn't for you, if you're like, man, I don't want to sleep in a bunk bed with a bunch of other men, man, I get it. But here's, here's the most important thing I want you to hear this morning if you're a man. 
You need to sign up the second that we have a date. We're going to get it early. And, and as soon as we do, we're going to ask you to put it on your calendar. You've got to be a part of this. I guarantee you, hang out with the man that was a part of men's events this weekend and they will tell you that it was, it was the most transformational weekend of their year. I mean, it's only March, but, uh, but, but man, powerful time. Is that true, Jamie? Okay, thank you. You mean that, right? Not just because I called you out? All right, awesome. Yeah. If you walk alone... You're easy prey for the enemy. Amen. You weren't meant to walk alone. So uh, I shared this story on Friday night, and uh, I've shared this story a few times, uh, but uh, let me just uh, double down on it, triple down, quadruple down. In October of 2020, uh, 17 of us hiked the Grand Canyon. It was a 27-mile one-day hike, uh, probably one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life. Uh, I was grossly out of shape. I didn't train for it at all. Um, bought some hiking boots, walked around the block. It didn't give me blisters. And I'm like, okay, we're good. And uh, uh, wife begged me not to go. And I'm like, hey, babe, it's just taking a long walk, right? That was not what it was at, at all, at all. Um, but we, we, we got this packing list. And so the packing list was uh, everything that you needed to put in your pack, Right? What I didn't realize was they were suggestions of a few of the kinds of things that you wanted to get. I got everything, right? So I got the goo packs, the protein bars. Um, I, I got, uh, no kidding, five pounds of trail mix in this baggie. Um, big mistake. Also had five packs of tuna, right? I was the only one that brought tuna on the trip. <laughs> And so, man, I got that loaded down in my backpack. And um, so, like at 5.15 in the morning, uh, we leave the South Rim, headed down into the canyon. And uh, as, as I told this story, people would come to me and go, man, when did you realize you were really in trouble? And I'm like, I think it was like the night before, right? <laughs> Don't do this. So we're headed down into the canyon. And man, by mile 10, I'm done. We're down uh, at 9.30 in the morning having lunch. Right, and, and we're, we're down at Phantom Ranch and we're sitting around. Ernie Fry was on the trip. Y'all know Ernie? And Ernie was like, Greg, this is the most amazing experience. Are you just jazzed? Can you hear him saying it? And I'm like, bro, I want to throat punch you right now. Um, and so at one point, people could see I'm, I'm struggling. My, my pack weighed 20 pounds. I'm carrying an extra 25 or so. And I mean, it's just not a good situation. And so one of the guys on the trip, Sean Castillo, said, hey, Greg, why don't we get an early start? Let's go ahead and head out while everybody's finishing lunch. Because I couldn't even eat. I'm just like, I just leave me here, right? I don't, I don't even know how to get out. But uh, uh, so I say, great. And he goes, I'll carry your pack. So he straps my pack to his pack. And he's a bigger guy. Um, and, and so uh, we kind of take off and he walks with the pack for a while. Eventually, everybody catches up with us. I thought we were making great time. And then I realized, oh, maybe not. And, and so as we catch up, he wants to hang back with somebody else is struggling. And so he hands me my pack. Josh Agnew is standing next to me. So I handed my pack to him. And uh, so now Josh is carrying my pack. And for about 10 miles, one of the two guys are carrying my pack. And, and, and I'm just trying to survive, right? I probably don't make it out of the canyon if these guys aren't carrying my load. 
And at some point, uh, about mile 22, I think, uh, we're on the trail. I can see that Josh is kind of struggling. Um, and I say, hey, man, I need to take my pack back. And so I took it back. I opened it up. And I began unloading stuff. And I pull out that five-pound bag of trail mix. And he looks at me like, are you kidding me? He never says a word, but you could tell. And I put that down. Then I got the tuna out and set it on top of there. And like in full biblical fashion, I'm making an altar to the Lord right there on, on this trail in the Grand Canyon. Not a word was spoken and we just carried on. Um, so my pack was definitely lighter at that point, but I couldn't feel my legs. So it didn't really, didn't really matter. But uh, here's the point. I needed somebody to carry the weight for me. I needed someone to co-labor with me because otherwise I'm not getting out of there. So think about your life. Who's walking with you? Who, who is carrying the weight of your life? For a lot of you, you're a lone ranger. You're carrying it all yourself. You're, you're trying to muscle your way through life and know this, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And yet so many, especially as men, you're living in isolation and silently suffering when Jesus is like screaming out to you. It's not the way it was meant to be. It's not the way it was meant to be. And so um, this morning, I wanna backtrack in the book of Philippians. If you were following along and you were really like, uh, really hardcore, you, you were reading ahead and maybe you noticed that I skipped verses 19 through 30 in chapter two. Um, how many of you noticed that? Yeah, one person. Okay, cool. Yeah, for the rest of you, um, we, we jumped from uh, verse 18 in chapter two uh, to chapter three, three weeks ago. And we did that because of this. I was reading through verses 19 through 30 and I'm like, well, this seems like an outlier passage. I don't see a lot of application in it. And so I just jumped over it. And this week, I began to realize, oh, this is what Paul was talking about. This is what he wanted to say to us. And so I want to backtrack this morning and not miss the truth of the word of God because know this, every word is inspired by God yes. and is valuable for us. And man, I'm, I'm grieved that I missed it the first time, but uh, we're going to catch it this morning. And what we're going to see is Paul's tribe, his inner circle, just kind of a picture of his band of brothers. So we're gonna start in verse 19 and work our way through the end of chapter two. And he starts out by saying this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. And so Paul's mentioning Timothy here. It's the second time he's mentioned Timothy in this letter. Remember, right at the beginning of the letter in his salutation and his greeting, he credits Timothy almost as if Timothy is co-writing this with him. Remember in verse one, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So he's, right at the beginning, he's tipping his hat to Timothy. And if you don't know anything about the Bible, you're just like, oh, I guess they co-wrote this. But what we actually know is that Paul was in prison, chained to two guards, living in isolation. But it gives you some insight into how he feels about Timothy. Yes. Amen. We talked about this week one, but it's clear that 
Paul has both confidence and affection for Timothy. He sees him as a partner in ministry. Paul gives credit or at least mentions Timothy in seven of his letters in the Bible. And then we get the insight of how he felt about Timothy because he wrote two letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy, that are, that are in the Bible that we can read every day. And if you remember, according to Acts 16, Timothy, along with Silas, helped plant the church at Philippi. So the Philippian people knew him well. They knew him as, as a part of Paul's tribe, as a part of his inner circle. And Paul's just building him up here, isn't he? He's like, hey, listen, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. And then look at what he says in verse 20. Tell me you wouldn't want Paul to say this about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. I have no one else like him. Can you imagine if you were Timothy, how that would make you feel? For, for Paul, who's a hero of the faith, even during that time, right? He's planting churches all over the area. Um, he's well known. And here he is imprisoned in Rome and he's writing this letter. And he's like, listen, of all the people that I know, I've planted churches all over the region. I know a whole lot of people and I don't know anybody like Timothy. That's a pretty cool thing for him to say about Timothy. Amen. We know he traveled with Silas, with Barnabas. We'll see later in the passage, a guy named Epaphroditus. But Timothy had a special place in Paul's heart. Timothy was his protege and Paul clearly trusted him. In fact, in a time of need, Timothy was his go-to. He was his ride or die. And then look, verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. Ugh. So what does Paul say in there? I often feel alone. I often feel like that nobody is for the cause. That people aren't looking out for the gospel. They're not looking out for the way of Jesus. Who are they looking out for? themselves. He, he's already said it. Remember in chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, he kind of spells out this picture of preachers that are preaching from a place of uh, envy and jealousy. And then he says in verse 19, he talks about the idea that uh, these are preachers that are looking out for their own self-interest. And so he's kind of coming in showing the contrast here, right? He's saying, hey, these preachers look out for their own self-interest. Timothy does it? I have no one like him. I don't know anybody like him. Remember in chapter two, verse four, as really it's, it's he's coaching the church up. There were clearly some issues in the church at Philippi. And remember, he goes through this whole thing and specifically in chapter two, verse four, and he says, hey, listen, you need to look out not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Quit thinking about yourself. Quit being self motivated. So, you know, we've, we've said this a fair amount, but let me just remind you, you don't drift toward holiness. You drift toward selfishness. Yes, That's your natural fallback, right? Your natural fallback is protect you at all costs. 
Do you find that to be true of your spouse? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, but, but seriously, do, do, you, do you find that to be true? I think for all of us, we look at it and we're like, yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard for me to get to a place where I say it, but I'm basically selfish. I basically want what I want when I want it. And, and, and either I, I'm, I'm pouting because I don't get my way or I'm manipulating so I can get my way. I get bent out of shape when things don't go exactly the way that I want them. And so if you get bent out of shape, if you're impatient when things don't go the way you think they should, hey, welcome to the party because that's naturally who we are as human beings. And apart from the Spirit of God taking that out of your life, think about it, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. It frustrates me that he put it forth. I'm so impatient, I want him to put it first. <laughs> love, joy, peace, patience. It's one of the characteristics that the Spirit gives us, right? And I'm, man, I'm the least patient person I know. I get frustrated when things aren't moving fast enough. It's like, come on, catch up. Let's go, let's go. Okay, Sheila, there's a line. I've been very patient with you. And now you've attacked me. If you're online, Sheila just publicly attacked me. I feel like I've been pretty good to you, Sheila. Okay, five minutes in the penalty box, you can't say anything for five minutes. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. All right, so I, I want you to think about it. I said five minutes in the penalty box, Sheila. I'm not joking. So contextually, remember, if you follow Jesus in this culture, um, you're gonna die. You're moving toward death. And so doesn't it make sense that especially in that culture, I mean, you're gonna look out for your own interests, right? Because you know that if you completely sell out, if you sing at the top of my lungs, you are my one thing, I'm willing to cast it all aside for the sake of Jesus, it's gonna lead you to an early grave. And so so often, they would probably skirt it. That's why they're preaching from places of envy and jealousy. That's why they're throwing under other people under the bus to accomplish their own purposes. Amen. So what about the church in America? Are we any different? No. I mean, look at, I mean, you know why it's not any different? Because we're people, y'all. I think we've got to get it in our heads that, that apart from Jesus, man, we're just not good people. And maybe that hurts you to hear that, that you're not good apart from Jesus. Amen. But deep down, you know it to be true. And so here he says, man, everyone, everyone is trying to advance their own kingdom above the kingdom of God. But look at what he says about Timothy. But you know, verse 22, that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Amen. Man, he says, but not Timothy. He's like a son to me. And he has served faithfully alongside me for the sake of the kingdom. 
So I, I talk a lot about my relationship with Jeff Wells. Um, but man, he is a spiritual dad to me. I have a father-son relationship with him. He's only, I think, 12 or 13 years older than me. But um, so he had, you know, a son at a very early age. Um, <laughs> spread that around. Uh, uh, but... You know, Jeff brought me to the Woodlands in 1997 to be the worship pastor at Woods Edge. It was a small church plant, four years old. And so for almost 14 years, we co-labored together in building this organization. And um, man, I learned how to be a, a, a pastor from Jeff. I never wanted to be a pastor, but I didn't find out until later over these last seven years, all of the things that I learned from him on how to pastor well, the value that I hold highest is the value of transparency, and I learned that from Jeff. He's the most transparent person that I know. And so I think about, you know, all of these years that we worked side by side together building this church, but in December 2010, he did some of his greatest mentoring in my life by firing me. Yeah, that sounds counterintuitive, right? He saw compromise in my life, secrets in my life. And he said, you know what? I can't trust you. I can't serve with you. And he invited me to no longer be on the staff team at Wood's Edge. But not only did he let me go from my job, but he faithfully met with me month after month after month after month for three years. For three years, there was not a month that went by that I was not sitting across from him at a table. Man, I was healing. I was transformed. I'm living in this new, uh, newfound relationship with Jesus that was alive and vibrant. And he would sit across from me and he would say things like, Greg, I'm jealous for this version of you. I wish I could work with this version of you. And I would say, you can, Jeff. You haven't filled the position yet. You can have me back. I'll even take a pay cut. And he would say, now's not the time, but I'm so proud of you. And over and over, he would speak words of life into me. He believed in me. In 2013, when I told him that I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor, he affirmed it in me. He said, I believe that, I believe in you. I wanna, I wanna help you accomplish that. In June of 2014, he rehired me onto the Woods Edge staff team to plant what we know as restoration. And I can remember the day in June of 2014 when we had an information meeting in Michael and Carrie Hogan's home and he stood next to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, this is the guy to lead this church. Mm, like passing this mantle of leadership to a guy who had deeply wounded him. He said, I believe in you. Man, he's still, man, he's, he's, he's my phone a friend, you know? Um, again, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. And so he's the guy that I'm calling when I'm like, man, I gotta figure this out. He's a great friend and mentor, but even more, he, he's, a, he's a spiritual father to me. And so, man, imagine how Timothy must have felt about Paul. I kind of get an idea because that's the way I feel about Jeff. And it says in verse 23, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. 
and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So what is he saying? He's like, hey, Philippians, man, I know I'm not there, so in my absence, I know you'd love to see Timothy because you know that if you've heard from Timothy, you've heard from me. That's awesome. I hope to send him soon, but I need him right now. So as he's talking about being selfless, people not looking out for their own self-interest, he kind of gives us some insight right now. He's like, hey, listen, I'm in prison. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't know if I'm gonna make it out or if I'm gonna die. And until this is all worked out, I need Timothy by my side. Because here's what Paul knew. We need each other. I can't do this on my own. So think about it. Do you have somebody in your life that you don't want to go into battle without? Think about that for a minute. Man or woman, do you have somebody in your life that when you think, man, when things are going down, this is who I need next to me? Somebody that you know has your back no matter what? Somebody that's going to push you into your highest calling, that's going to constantly say, hey, listen, man, there's a better life to be lived, calling you into this. So not only do I have Jeff as my spiritual dad, uh, Brian Jenkins has been that guy for me over the last 12 years. So uh, in 2010, it was Brian that called me on the phone and said, hey, your secret is out. I've been made aware of it. I'm like, yikes, I thought not a soul knew. And he said, hey, you gotta, man, you gotta come clean so you can be free. And I'm like, nah, I can't, I can't do that. It's too much riding on it. I'll lose my job, I'll lose my wife. It's not worth it. And you know what he said to me in, a, in the most loving way possible? You tell her, I tell. On the surface, that seems like a horrible thing to say to another person, right? Like, oh, thanks, best friend. But again, the most loving thing he could do in that moment was say, hey, listen, you gotta get this out for your freedom. He's also the guy that stood in the gap when everything fell apart. He was the one that sat with me and Yvonne and we all cried together. He was the one that was a part of nursing me back to health spiritually that was just continuing to love me, continuing to support me. By this time, he's the pastor of Riverstone in Montgomery and Montgomery and he needed help with his staff team in 2012. And so he hired me as a consultant to help him with some organizational development stuff. And I'm like, wait, do you know who I am? I'm not the most organized cat in the world. And he's like, no, I want you to come and help me. And then in 2013, February of 2013, when I've felt God say, I want you to pastor a church. The person that told me that I needed to pastor a church was Brian. That he saw that in me and he called it out in me. And he wouldn't let me take no for an answer. We're in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru on 1488. And he said, hey, you know what? You should be a pastor. And I'm like, dude, you hate being a pastor. Why would you, why would you say that to me? Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. You know, and, and, and he looks at me. No, it's what you're called to do. You'd be way better at it than I am. I don't want to be a pastor. Dude, you need to be a pastor. I don't want to be. Okay, uh, if I say I'll be a pastor, will you stop talking? Yes, I'll be a pastor. 
And then God just began to speak to me and began to, to say, this is what I have for you, Greg. And in 2014, when we launched Restoration, Riverstone, 15 minutes away, it makes no sense to have another Woods Edge church so close. He's funneling resources into it because he believed that this was God's call on my life. He left the pastorate at the end of 2016 and from 2017 to 2019, he was an elder serving alongside here at Restoration. And um, he continues to be on my short list of guys that he walks with Jesus, he hears the voice of God. And man, to say that I need him in my life is a massive understatement. I need him with me. Okay, so that's Timothy. Now, verses 25 through 30, there's this other obscure character. He's only mentioned in the book of Philippians. But look at verse 25. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also to me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I, have, I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves cannot give me. So there's this dude, Epaphroditus. So who is he? Well, he was a part of the Philippians church and, and, and the Philippian church knew that Paul was in distress, Paul's in prison, so they wanted to send a gift basket to him. They wanted to send him something to say, we're for you. And so they send this dude, Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus, somewhere along the journey, got very sick and almost died. And he crawled to Rome to make sure that Paul got what he needed to survive. He risked his life for the sake of the gospel. That's Epaphroditus. So think about this. This represents the ministry of the unnoticed. Paul didn't have to put that in this letter, right? He says, hey, I'm not sending Timothy right now. I need him. I hope to be back with you. And when I come, I'll bring Timothy with me and we'll celebrate with you. But right now, I'm sending Epaphroditus. How did he refer to him? My brother, my coworker, my fellow soldier. Come on. Guys, does that not ignite your heart? My fellow soldier? I mean, that's Braveheart stuff right there. Now imagine that you're Epaphroditus and um, you got a long journey. You're taking this letter back to the Philippian church. You think he read it on the way? 100%. I mean, imagine, imagine that, you know, you're carrying this letter. And you're like, I wonder what he's saying to him. I bet that brother highlighted that section, right? <laughs> Honor him. Honor Epaphroditus. Honor guys just like him. 
This is the ministry of the unnoticed. This is the ministry of, of the people that are an afterthought in the kingdom of God. The people that, uh, you know, like, like we don't know who shared Christ with Billy Graham, right? But we know Billy Graham. And think about all of the people that make up the kingdom of God, all the people in this room that in your mind, you're an afterthought, but in reality, there's something that God has called you to do to be a part of the movement of the kingdom of God. And you matter. And every time you walk in disobedience, every time you say no to whatever it is that God's calling you to do, every time that you say no to the gospel and say, I'll sit this one out, we are incomplete in the kingdom of God as a result. Think about that for a minute. Epaphroditus. I mean, what a name. <laughs> this room today is filled with Epaphroditus is, right? <laughs> the ministry of the unnoticed. Those who are constantly putting their lives on the line for the sake of the kingdom, but they don't get the notoriety that the front line get. So, you know, I'm tip of the spear, right? So I'm gonna get all the pats on the back. But here's what I know, that me by myself am nothing. It's, it's you that makes up restoration. It's every person that says, hey, I'm gonna put on one of those ugly yellow shirts and be out in the parking lot and, and, and park people. It's the people that are standing giving a warm welcome as you walk in. It's, it's Rich and Amy Garcia that are making coffee on Sunday morning. And I think about uh, men's advance this weekend. Andy Davis, um, who uh, runs an AV company, uh, he couldn't be there this weekend. And so he shows up at 9 a.m. at Camp Choye to set up this elaborate sound system and, and all of our audio visual and he had to get there early because he had a gig that night. So he's gone, but he comes in and sets it all up and sets the table for all of the men that needed to hear. That's Andy Davis. Rich Garcia and Damon Collins. They're there during the same time bringing in snacks for about 800 people, right? I mean, there were way too many snacks for the number of people that were there, right? We're gonna be the best fed staff for the next few months loading up on cheeses, right? And so, uh, uh, and, and all weekend long, they were refilling the coffee. They were refilling the snack table and people were going and grabbing stuff and they're immediately replacing it. I mean, they were, they were concierges for, for these 330 men. And most of the guys didn't even know their name. And they didn't do it for recognition. It's the ministry of the unnoticed. And I think about like tech people in general, Think about tech people. The only time you notice them is when they make a mistake, right? Have you ever noticed you that they get behind on the lyrics and you're like, <laughs> poor Mike Francis back there. He's just trying to keep up. I'm throwing him for a loop every Sunday, throwing in passages and he's like, wait, where is that? And you're like, hey bro, let's go. It's the ministry of the unnoticed. And I, I think about um, Michael Wells and Tim Burke and Zach Morrow, who were a part of the tech team for Men's Advance that are just, man, they're just, they're serving Jesus using their natural giftedness. And then I think about daily, just 
all the people that make up the staff of restoration. Think about, you know, Josh Agnew and Gavin Carrier and Ted Siegel and Leanne Francis and uh, Chance Kearley and Carrie and her whole team. And uh, man, we've got 21 people that are part-time, full-time volunteers. You know, Dave Shannon, who gives of his time and it's the tip of the spear for men's ministry. And then all of our elders who serve so faithfully. And, and here's the thing. You're volunteering in ministries that they're running. And all of us are a part of this uh, mechanism, this movement called restoration. Amen. And it just doesn't work if you're not living into your calling. We're completely incomplete if you are not receiving from the Lord the thing that he's called you to do and jumping into it. We call it our Ephesians 2.10 calling. So last night, David Hill, if you've heard David Hill, man, he is a fire starter for sure. And last night he was talking about this whole idea of living into your mission. And he, he uh, brought up Emmett Smith, which I loved, right? Dallas Cowboy. Um, he, was, he is the NFL's all-time leading rusher. And in the 90s, if you were following football at that time, the Cowboys won three Super Bowls in four years, which is pretty unprecedented. I think the Patriots are the only other team to have done that. And so, man, as they were living their best life, they had the triplets. They had Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith. And in 2010, there's a Hall of Fame ceremony, and Emmett Smith is inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. And as a part of his speech... He asked somebody to stand that was in the audience that night. You know who it was? It was Daryl Moose Johnston. Anybody know who that is? You know, Daryl Johnston, if you're not really, if you're a casual football fan, you probably know of Emmett Smith because he was on Dancing with the Stars, right? That's that's your only, the only way you know him. But if you're a football fan, you know Daryl Johnston because he was the fullback on those championship teams. You know what the fullback did? He ran ahead of Emmett Smith. He was a lead blocker. He had the offensive line, but he was going into those holes and he was carving out a path for Emmett Smith to be successful. And he stood up and he honored him. And he said, hey, listen, this doesn't get here without you. I'm wearing the gold jacket, but you're the real MVP. Think about it. Can you imagine Daryl Johnston, who he probably couldn't stand up straight. I mean, he'd had fusion surgery at this point. I mean, his body was beat to a pulp because of all the violent collisions that he took for Emmett Smith. And on that night, he's standing there being recognized. How cool is that? We all want to be Emmett Smith. But you know what? Most of us need to be Daryl Johnston, right? There are those uh, generational talents. There are generational voices like Paul. And, and, And he was living out his calling fully. He was called to be a fire starter, to plant churches all over the area. But guess what? For, for every generational talent like Paul, there are Timothys and Epaphroditus's that are needed to accomplish the work that God had called Paul to. Without those guys, the word never gets out. He dies in prison with a lot of words. He needed people to be his messengers. Yes. And so think about it. This, 
obscure, seemingly disconnected passage in this letter. The one that I just frankly overlooked. The one that I read through it was like, uh, I don't see it. Uh, I'm going to move on. The Lord took me back to it and said, hey, you don't get to do that. There are some things that I want to say, some things I want to do. And Paul gives us insight into his inner circle, affirming both his MVP and Timothy and his brother and fellow soldier in Epaphroditus. And they were both instrumental in the journey. Amen. So here's a question. Who's in your inner circle? Who's in your inner circle? Who's your mentor and who are you mentoring? Who's your brother? Who's your fellow soldier? Who's your sister? Remember, we've all got an Ephesians 2.10 calling and here's what that means. Let me throw that verse up there. It says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So before the foundation of the world, there are things that God put into place for you to do. Your uniqueness, your you-ness. But do you see the activator? The activator of your calling is Jesus. You can't do it without Jesus. And the problem is for most of us, we're dying to know why we matter, what we're called to do. But we're not willing to get into the secret place with Jesus every day and just beg him, hey, what's your assignment for me today? And here's the thing, for a lot of you in the room, he's calling you into a life of lead blocking, right? Mm, Because it matters, it matters. And he wants to reorient us uh, around, man, we live in a celebrity culture, right? Where we just wanna hold everybody up and go, that's who I wanna be. And God's like, no, you're missing the point. All those people are miserable. I'm calling you to a life of obedience to do whatever I call you to do and whatever way I call you to do it because I've created you with purpose and every one of you is indispensable in the kingdom of God. It's 1 Corinthians 12. That's good. That's good. There are hands and foots and noses and yeah. mouths and spleens. I don't know what a spleen does, but it's needed. You may be the next Emma Smith or you may be a supportive right hand like Timothy or you may be being prepared for that moment that you can be Epaphroditus. But without an inner circle of people that are continuing to push you toward your highest calling, surrounding yourself with people that are running after Jesus, that are gonna call you on your stuff, that are gonna say, hey, listen, you tell or I tell. We're gonna live in transparency, come hell or high water. We're, We're going after the purposes of Jesus together. You are a fellow soldier. I'm locking arms with you. I'm not gonna let you fail. Who doesn't want some of that in their life? You weren't made to walk alone. So four things. Number one, identify your inner circle. I would encourage you right now, if you've got a pen and paper, I want you to just begin to process with the Lord. Hey, who is my inner circle? 
And maybe you find, I don't have anybody like that in my life. I don't have anybody that is really challenging me. And here's what I want to say. Man, we have a men's Bible study on Thursday morning at 6.30. We have a women's Bible study um, and they're seasonal, but they're, they're coming up where you're gonna have an opportunity to sit at tables life on life with other people that are just like you going through the same stuff you're going through. But what I love about men's ministry right now is there are offshoots of that, of people meeting every day of the week in small groups. And it's not a program of restoration. It's a group of men that love Jesus so much and they're inviting other people into it. And they're just doing life together at Rudy's, at Starbucks, at Love Coffee, all over the area, just getting into the word and holding each other accountable to live in their highest calling. So identify your inner circle. Find a mentor. Find a mentor. Find someone that is ahead of where you are spiritually and say, man, I I, I need to grow Find the person that revs you up, that gets you excited about the purposes of Jesus and say, hey, I need what you have. Amen. So be a mentor. Number three, discover and live into your Ephesians 2.10 calling. And for some of you, you're like, man, I don't know what that means. Well, you don't know what it means because you're not spending daily time with Jesus. You're not so connected in intimacy with Jesus that you're allowing him to speak into your life. So identify and begin to live in to your Ephesians 2.10 calling. And, and, and again, it's like uh, we want one thing, just be willing to live into whatever Jesus calls you to. But know this, here's the final thing. We're all needed in the kingdom of God. All of us. We've all got a role to play. And every part is indispensable, every single part.